Well, take your Bibles again and turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. This will be the second lesson in this series on established, established in the grace of God. That's part, this be part two. Now, Paul had made the statement in verse 9, and we'll talk about it in just a moment, but he said, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. I don't know about you more than anything else as a child of God. I want my heart established with grace, don't you? I want to confidently and steadfastly and dogmatically be enabled by God's Spirit to rest in Christ and His blood alone, His imputed righteousness, is my only hope, cause of salvation every single solitary moment of my life. Don't you? And I tell you, that's what the Scriptures tell us is the will and purpose of God for all His children in this present world. All of us, in time, as we live these lives that our Lord has, by His providence, put us here for, He enables us more and more with each and every passing year of our lives, and really every passing day, to see the futility and the failure uh, that still... Uh, revolves through every single solitary part of our life, giving us absolutely no hope in anything other than in himself. We have a tendency to look at trials and difficulties and think that they're somehow out from underneath control and that somehow it would be better if we didn't go through it. There's a purpose and a reason for everything that our God does in our lives. And see, the, the principle uh, set forth by the writer of Hebrews, this idea of having your heart established with grace, and this principle that we looked at last week, he says, be not carried about with diverse, different, and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing for the heart to be established with grace, not with meats. Now, meat, when we think about the phrase meat, what does it tell me? It has, it's anything to do with this time and sense. I wrote a little, little, little thing yesterday, and the, the thing of it is, it amazes me. We write things that are true. Well, I mean, they're just absolutely true. And yet, we find ourselves failing in, in the very truth that we know to be true. And the truth is this be anxious. For nothing. Uh-huh. Be anxious for nothing. And it means don't be, be, be concerned about, don't be worried about, don't be anxious about. And nothing means no thing, no man, nobody. And yet, I get up here this morning, I'm diligently working to get all this stuff running and go back there to watch to make sure that the mouth and the, and the uh, sound is in sync and I'm up there speaking on the TV in the back, and there's no volume. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Matthew! <laughs> in a panic. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are... 
And that's a little thing, but that's a reproof. Now it is to me. Don't if 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 it's meant for this thing not to work. You know what? It ain't gonna work. And me fretting about it, I mean, I think about what our Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount. Which of you, by thought, can add one cubit to your stature? And so he, he's telling you and me that I, listen, our hearts are to be established with grace because everything of time and sense, what happens to it all? It fails. It comes up short. It cannot, listen, I, I've been married, I've been to be married to my wife for 40 That ain't heaven on earth. She's not my comfort and I'm not hers. I better not be. Because if she's my comfort or I'm hers and she goes or I goes, what happens to the one that's left behind? See? Every one of us here that believe the gospel, you, me, all of us, the ones in the back that are teaching the children, all of us are here for one purpose. Just one. <laughs> You're talking about the simplicity of the gospel. This is the simplicity of life. Why are you here? Why do you exist? So you can enjoy life? So you can get to watch your children grow up or your grandchildren grow up or go into the, the, the golden ages with your spouse? Is that, is that what it's about? Well, we, we do get the privilege and benefit if the Lord lets us live long, though. But He's left us here for a purpose. What's our purpose? Why are you still living and breathing? Because somewhere in God's plan and purpose, He intends to use you still. Use you in what sense? To live a good, moral, sincere life so the best sermon that somebody can hear is the one they see. No. He's left you here with this clear, me too, with this clear-cut command. Preach the gospel. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Here's, here's why I'm here. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's, that's our purpose in life. Believers forget that, don't we? We serve ourselves so much. My, me too. This is, this is, this is a, 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 a self-examination thing. But our... our our goal should be singular. I wish mine was as singular as it should be. We have limited time here, all of us. All of us here have friends, family, people that we love in the, that, that are in this world, that are of this world. We should always be prepared to do what? To give a, be prepared to give an answer to every man that asks us. Friend, family, and foe, unapologetically. So don't be occupied with me. Don't concern yourself with the things of time and sense which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. I tell you, everything that's in this world, you put your trust in it, you put your confidence in it, it's not going to profit you. No, it's not. And see, this is is an absolute this this truth. Have your heart established with grace, and don't put your confidence in the things of time and sin. This this is absolutely essential to my life and my walk 
as a justified saying. What's he already told us? Now the just, now the righteous, how do we live? We don't live by sight. That's what gets us in trouble, isn't it? Just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, draw back from what? From the faith. From the confidence that we have in Christ Jesus. My soul shall have no pleasure in him, but we are, look, we are not of them that draw back to perdition. We do not, we, do, we, we cannot, I, we, we keep emphasizing this. I, I, I swear I was trying to get further than I, I wanted to on 2 John. And I, you, you just cannot get beyond this, how important and essential it is that we understand that God's children remain in the gospel. Trying to stay close to the mic. I had several people call me, tell me last week, you have a tendency to trail off every once in a while. And we think, what did he say? Well, I'm going to try to make it where you can understand what I'm saying if you're listening to me today, okay? Faith is a substance of things hoped for. What do we hope for? Eternal life. And this life is where? It's in the Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son, can he hath not life? For by it, by their faith, no, by what Christ did, imputed to them, evidenced by God-given faith in regeneration and conversion, by faith the elders obtained what? A good testimony. Not before the world. But a good testimony from who? God says, by His Spirit to our hearts, He, he confirms to us that what are you? See, I, I can't, think about it. I cannot confirm to myself I'm a child of God. If I look at what I've done this morning, what I've done this week, there's nothing in my life I can point to and say, I know I'm a child of God because of this. But His Spirit testifies to my spirit based on His eternal, unchangeable love for me and His purpose to come into this world born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Because of that, He testifies to my spirit. What am I? I'm a son of God. He said it in First John, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. You hear that? We, now we are the sons of God. Not waiting to be, we are. Paul told those at Corinth, for we walk by faith. You hear me? We walk by faith. And I never thought about it until I was writing the introduction to this lesson this way. We walk by faith, not by sight. You know where that's located at? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You say, well, why is that so important that it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and keep that principle in your mind. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Think about the context of how that statement was made by the apostle, moved by the Spirit of God to write it. We walk by faith, not by sight. What's the context? Well, here it is. Listen. If any man be in Christ, new creature. See? We walk by, keep that in mind. We walk by faith, not by sight. <laughs> See, I can't look at myself and say, I'm a new creature. 
But I know what God has promised me. I am a new creature. Not becoming one. Not working my way in that direction. Not hoping that one day when I get before St. Peter in the pearly gates that he'll say, well, you've done enough. He'll open the book up and find some things that I've done and say, come on in. No, not at all. He's made me a new creature. How'd he do that? How'd he make me a new creature? Look at it. All things are of God. Same all things as he wrote to those at Rome in Romans chapter 8. All things work together for good. What things? All things. Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. We walk by faith. He's reconciled us to God himself. Just one way. By Jesus Christ. And what's he done? I told you what our mission was. Why we're here. He's given to us. What's he given to us? The ministry of reconciliation. That God was in Christ. Reconciling the world unto himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us sinners by birth, by nature, by practice, and even still by choice. He's committed to us what? The word of reconciliation. Since now, that's what that word now means, since that's the case, that we're new creatures, that we're full-fledged sons and daughters of God, that we've been reconciled to God, our sins not imputed to us, imputed to Christ, What are we to do? Now then, since we're ambassadors, an ambassador is a liaison who speaks on the behalf of the country he represents. We're going to get to that maybe (laughs) in Hebrew. Here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. We're, We're ambassadors for the new Jerusalem, for the city whose builder and maker is God, as though God did beseech. In other words, if God don't speak, in audible voices anymore. He did in the Old Testament. He did some in the New Testament. Not anymore. God who in sundry times and in diverse manners spoken to our fathers by this prophet hath in these last days spoken unto us how? By his son. Wait, the Logos. Everything God's got to say to you, where's it at? Right here. In, this, in these 66 books. You hear me? In these 66 Books, not 84, 66. The divinely inspired Word of God. From Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to Revelation chapter 22. That's it, no more, no less. We pray in Christ's stead. Christ is no longer here, is he? I know he said this. He said, it's expedient for me to go away because if I don't go away, who can't come? The comforter can't come. But if I go, I'll send you another comforter that has been with you. Christ was their comforter. He had been with them. But he shall, what? Be in you. I mean, you think about this. And I think about these kind of things. This is way off the point, but these things just get rolling around in my mind. I think about our Lord Jesus Christ. He was was God incarnate. He was a man with 
two distinct natures, both God and man, in one person, right? And though Christ the Son, the eternal Son of God, is unlimited by time and space, He could be anywhere, could He not? We know that as, as the incarnate Son of God, He could even overrule that, that humanity, right, that He dwelt in, because... Remember, the, 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 the apostles were out in the boat in the middle of the storm, and he wasn't there, and then he was there, right? And we know that, that after he met them, after Peter pulled that stun on the water and he was with them, immediately what happened? They didn't take a journey to get back to the shore. What happened? What does the Scripture say? Immediately, the boat was at the dock. What did our Lord do? He changed the, the principles of time and sense. He moved that boat. We know after his resurrection, what did he do? He walked through a wall and stood in the midst of the apostles. But yet in that same humanity, before he appeared to them, he met them out by and he, he was cooking fish and fed them. Right? But here's one thing I know about that humanity. Our Lord Jesus Christ, at one point in time, remember his friend Lazarus was sick. They'd sent to him. He could have just zapped down there, right? He could have. I started, somebody can walk on water. That ain't no big trick to be able to move from one place to another. Just like Bethany's like 11 miles, but 11 miles by foot's a long way. <clears throat> what did he do? He was limited by... The sense that that humanity can't be everywhere at one place. Our Lord Jesus Christ comforted his apostles when he was with them, right? He comforted that woman at the well, did he not? He comforted that blind man that he had healed when he met him after he'd been cast out of the temple. He comforted Lazarus's sisters at his death, at their death, at Lazarus's death. He, didn't come, he couldn't be everywhere at one place. Why? He was in a human body. And he said, I've been with you, and when I, the Spirit of truth, which Christ received the Spirit without measure, he comforted him. But he said, when I go away, he's not just going to be present with you like I am. Because, you know, occasionally our Lord was away from them when they were out on that boat. Praise God, what do we got? He's in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, he said, be reconciled in God. If Christ can't be here, what? We're here as his ambassadors. Be reconciled to God. On what basis? See, the just, here we, here we go. We walk by faith, not by sight. For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I can't see that. Can you? Can, can you? can you see the righteousness of God in me? Heck, I can't even see the righteousness of God in me. That's part of the problem. We're looking for the wrong thing. We're looking for this thing to change. Oh, J.C. Philpott said it best, you can't ever 
think that this thing is ever going to be new and improved. God ain't in the, he's not in the business of patching this thing up that we live in and making it better. It's so bad it has to be changed, right? Because, listen, he, I, our Lord said it right. Flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's got to be changed. It does. We left off in verse 10. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat at this tabernacle, which served the, the tabernacle. The word translated we have means to have or to hold in the hand of the sense of wearing. Like if I pick up this bottle of water, I have it and I hold it. And I can drink it. So he says, we don't have. those. He said, we have. We possess. We have in our hands right now. What? An altar. What's so important about an altar? Well, an altar means an altar for slaying and burning victims. Namely, the altar of the whole burnt offerings which stood in the court of the priests in the temple of Jerusalem. But now here's the thing. That altar and all the sacrifices that they offered on it could never put away sin. We read it every time when we take the Lord's table in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. But this altar, this altar we possess, which we have, which every justified saint possesses fully and completely, by virtue of their oneness with the Lord Jesus Christ, has effectively and eternally put away the sins of his people. And what the writer is telling us is that those who serve that first altar have no authority, they have no right to do what? To eat of, of or possess Christ Jesus our Lord. But look at what he says in verse 11 and 12. For the bodies... Hebrews 13, verse 11, 12, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, where did he suffer at? Outside the gate. I mean, you think about this. Our, Our God is an amazing God, is he not? And divine wisdom has appointed everything that he said by his Holy Spirit, verse 11, to typify the Lord Jesus Christ as he brings it out in verse 12, where he says, Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people who suffered where? Outside the gate. Now, although the Jews crucified Christ outside the gates of the city, Why'd they do that? They didn't want him anywhere near the holy place. And still, that's that's an amazing thing. I think, yeah, I, I spent I spent nearly three decades, Kenny, thinking there was something behind that veil. The, you know, the spirit, I mean, you think about it, go back and read the Old Testament. From Malachi until the time of Christ, you know what it says? There was no spirit of prophecy. Spirit had departed. Remember what, remember what was written over the temple when the, ar, ar, the altar, they wrote the word what? Ichabod. Which means what? 
glory's departed. There was no Ark of the Covenant behind that veil. Gone. Been gone for a while. Never came back. When uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son took it away, gone. That's an interesting study right there in and of itself. But they still going right on the lawn, doing their thing. They've re- the veil's hung just like it's supposed to be there. They going in behind there with blood, making the sacrifices. But think about this. Everything, single, solitary thing there, they, they, they didn't want Christ. We can't, we can't kill him inside where the temple's at. They wanted to, but they couldn't. And the reason they wanted to do it outside is they thought by doing it outside, it would declare him to be exactly like what that Levitical sacrifice talks about over in Leviticus chapter 16. Go read it. We don't have time to read it. Go, go read sometime this week, Leviticus 16, verses 5 through verse 28, about the, the, two, the two goats, the scapegoat and the offering, the goat offered, and the bullock that was shed, its blood was offered. And they took the bullock, what was left of him, and what they do with it? They carried it outside the camp and burned it up. What's that a picture of? That's why Christ had to be burned outside. It's all a picture of Christ. See, think about it. Christ's goal in suffering death, what did he suffer death for? To sanctify the people, to set them apart, to make us holy. By the which will we are sanctified, declared holy, made righteous, accepted in the blood, through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting, they offer those same two goats every year. Did the same sacrifice every year. And every year, you know, it accomplished the same thing. Not a dadgum thing. Except for those who saw through it by God-given faith, they saw who? They saw the Lamb of God coming. You say, that's impossible. Well, you tell me this, how do you see him as the Lamb of God? I ain't got no pictures, a movie show. I got Mel Gibson's movies and stuff like that. Ain't the same Christ. And yet we seem to think somehow or another they're in darkness and we got them. We see things they couldn't see. Same faith. Same gift of God. By one offering, listen to this, he hath perfected forever. How long? Forever. Them that are sanctified. Who sanctified them? He did. By his obedience unto death. Our Lord Jesus Christ, by his perfect life, his obedient death, his glorious ascension, he affected our holiness, our righteousness, by his own blood. You ever thought about this? What what does it mean to be sanctified in this sense by Christ's blood? You're sanctified. I know we have some people. I remember I used to have a guy that was a Nazarene that I worked with out at that old oil plant. He said he was sanctified, and by sanctified, he thought he had achieved sinless perfection. Wrong. If we say we have no sin, we make God a liar, 
and his truth's not in us. We will always be sinners saved by God's grace. As good as we can get. I, I, mean, I, hate, to, I hate to use it kind of like Improve as you can. You still are the same thing. What are you? You're a worm. You're a maggot. Me too. All of us. What does it mean? Here's what it means. It means the removal of all the guilt. Think about this. This is what being sanctified means. It means removing all the guilt, all the defilement, and it means to be in an unchangeable state of acceptance before God based on the unchangeable, eternal righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we're always in God's grace and we're always in God's fellowship. The Scriptures describe every bit of our salvation to be found one place, affected by only one thing, by Christ's blood. And you think about this, wherever righteousness is at, this righteousness is at, What's the demand? Justification in life. Right? Christ warned these self-righteous religionists. What did he need? He warned them. He warned them to repent of their evil deeds. In other words, repent of all their efforts at religion and morality aimed at their hope of salvation because they couldn't attain righteousness by the deeds of the law. And he commanded them to do what? To believe the gospel. To rest in Christ, his righteousness imputed is their only hope and cause of salvation. But here's the problem. Without God giving them life by his Holy Spirit, the vast majority of them, what'd they do? They refused. That's all they could do. And they continued to believe that their participation in the duties of that old covenant recommended them to God. Therefore, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he suffered outside the gate, it signified, what did he do? He had left everything that they held in such high esteem where it was at. And he pronounced on it what it was. Remember, when our Lord Jesus Christ, they were carrying him out, he was carrying the tomb, you know, the cross out to Golgotha. And the women, you know, they, they paid mourners, you know. <laughs> and they, the mourners were out there mourning, bewailing. There's such hypocrisy in all of it, you know, for them to be out there mourning and bewailing the fact that this person was being carried out so beat beyond recognition. And all the skin beat off his back, you know, just in miserable shape, stripped naked with a crown of thorns and a robe, a purple robe on him, and he's going out. And they're mourning it. And Christ turns to them and he says, Daughters of Jerusalem. And that's the key. Daughter, it doesn't say, you know, these are reprobate women, Kenny's what they are. Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me. Listen to this. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. They shall then shall begin, they, then shall they begin to say to the mountains, this is in women and their heirs, they shall cry to the mountains, do what? Fall on us into the hills, cover us. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord are in all places, beholding the good and the evil. And they know it then. They know it. 
But he tells us, verse 13, let us go therefore unto him where? Go outside the camp. I tell you, I'm looking at a group of people that have gone outside the camp. Everybody sitting in Grace Baptist Church today, we all started in the same place. Started behind well-intentioned, loving parents, grandparents, old teachers and preachers and Sunday school directors and song leaders, people that we loved and admired, and we went through all the rituals. Did we not? We dotted every I and we crossed every T. And we had a card at our church of origin that said we were a member in good standing. Did we not? And yet the Lord, by his grace, what did he not do? He did not leave us there. He did not. Every sinner who by God-given faith believes in Christ and pleads his blood and his righteousness alone is their only hope and cause of salvation. You know what they'll do? They'll take up their cross and they'll follow him, leaving and renouncing. Listen to this now, leaving and renouncing that everything that we did before, before he revealed his righteousness and revealed himself in us and to us is our righteousness. We renounce all of it as what? Idolatry. I'm telling you, I, I know, see, this is the thing. I, you, know, you do too. I know by experience. I was pastoring a church. And that guy that I came out and wondered, one of the things he thought I had lost my mind over is I called all that before, everything that we did together for all those years up until the Lord revealed the gospel to me through Christ Jesus our Lord, through the preaching of it by Pastor Mahan. I told him all of it. What were we? We were lost and ungodly and told him we were idolaters and he lost his mind over that. You tell me, how can you do that? I was trying to get a career. I wanted to be somebody. I wanted a following. Wanted recognition. Thought I was doing it in the name of the Lord. Praying and preaching and studying and buying books and, and witnessing to people and converting people and baptizing some folks. Some folks that were, were, were with us, that are now with us, I baptized them back out at that old church, baptized them again when they came to believe the gospel, just like I myself. But he lost his mind over that. He said, this guy's crack cheese has slid completely off his cracker. Why? Because it condemned everything that we did and put it in its proper place. It was idolatry, and every bit of it was dead works. Every sermon that I preached, every prayer that I prayed, every gift that I gave, all the love that I showed, all the ch change in my life, I might as well have been part of the LGBTQ plus people. Well, in reality, that ain't as bad. Because I tell you what, there ain't none of them LGBTQ people think they're going to heaven because they're LGBTQ alphabet suit people. Huh? The murderer doesn't think, I'm going to heaven because I've glorified God by murdering somebody. No. But I thought I was going to heaven because what? 
Lord, have I not preached in your name? Have I not cast out demons? I didn't do that, but... (laughs) Have I not done many wonderful works in your name? How do you view that? What, What kind of blessedness did our Lord pronounce on that? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Could you envision, Pastor, one of these big Baptist churches... What would happen to him if the Lord was pleased to bring him to true faith and true repentance? You think he could stay? I'm going to change it from the inside. No. Where do we go? Outside the kingdom. And that's what he's saying. Because here's the thing. We see that salvation by Christ alone demands that we exclude and renounce every other way. And in exposing and renouncing every other way, you know what we do? We bear his reproach. What do you, what do your friends and family think of you when they know what you believe? Oh, I like them, but they're different. No, it's the worst than that. I got friends, and I've got people that I was close to that treat me like the plague today. And the reason so is because they know what, what I have said and what the scriptures have said concerning everything that we do by way of religious effort and activity. That's, that's, that's when we bear, we, we suffer. Remember what he said, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you for my name's sake. For my name's sake, Jehovah our salvation the anointed redeemer. And that's what we're telling people. Jehovah is the salvation of his people. He came here as the anointed of God, sin of the Father, to put away the sins of his people. And I tell you, those born of God, they see that and they rejoice in it. But not everybody. You think about it, just as these religious religionists, both the Jews and the Gentiles, looked on Christ as unloving and uncompassionate, harsh, critical, unclean, unholy. Call our Lord Jesus Christ friend of publicans and sinners, a glutton and a wine bibber. How many how many times do you think they'd actually seen our Lord drunk? Most of the time, our Lord was being begged by his disciples to eat, and our Lord just didn't eat. A gluttonous man in a wine beverage, spending all night in a garden praying. Spent 40 nights and days in a wilderness, fasting. I tried to fast 24 hours one time, couldn't get through it. My sugar bottom out so bad, I thought I was dying. 40 days and 40 nights, that, that's, that's miraculous. But they considered him unclean, did they not? Why? Because he told them, told them they were lost and that they were headed for certain eternal misery. And if we do the same, what's going to happen? We're going to bear his reproach. Look at verse 13. For here we have no continuing City. I want to get done with this this morning. Even if I run up to the last minute, we're getting done with these two verses this morning. You think about this. Divine worship, it's no longer confined to any place. 
You understand that? Not confined to any city. He says, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. What does that mean to us? Here's what it means. It means that all the distinctions of heritage and race and place are removed one place in Christ. Remember that woman? She said, we know when Messiah comes. <laughs> we'll worship him here. And that's what our Lord say. Now, Lord, they that are crazy, he that worships God, well, how will they worship They'll worship him in spirit and in truth. He said, it ain't got nothing to do with no mountains. It ain't nothing to do with any place at all. That word translated continuing means to abide or to dwell. In other words, this world and everything involved in it is not the justified saints. And that word city means a city of origin. Here we have no dwelling, no continuing, no abiding city of origin. In other words, what does that say to you? This earth is not my home. We are strangers and pilgrims passing through. Listen to you. This is how I know it means a dwelling place, a place where you abide, a place where you stay. And Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master, here's the word, where dwellest thou? Where you stay? He saith unto him, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt. You hear that? Same word. And they abode, they dwell with him that day or it was about the 10th hour. Now listen, the city that all true believers seek, what city is it? It's heaven itself. It's the eternal city. And all the glory which they shall possess based on one thing alone, on Christ's blood and his righteousness. And here's the thing. This city that we're seeking, how long will it be our eternal habitation? Forever. And folks, it can't ever be destroyed. Can't be upset. Can't be hastened or forbad. And what he said in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. We think it can be moved, do we not? It can't. How do we know it can? Our Lord Jesus Christ looked at Peter and he said, On this rock, himself. I'll build my church. And he has, and he is. And what does he tell us? This is from the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, I appreciate your presence. You're dismissed.